On this episode of the podcast, I have with me Ali Hosenkhani. He is the director of software engineering at Next Trucking. He's actually going to talk to us about something that everyone's probably going through, and it is the challenges around hiring and having had to deal with teams going to remote and potentially coming back to hybrid, and how it's even impacting the software development process. How do you potentially help insulate yourself from you know, some of the uh, you know turnover that you might be seeing on your teams and Ali definitely has some insights that I'm excited for him to share. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Amir. Absolutely, man. Thank you for doing this. And uh, I guess uh, start of the top two things always. One is tell us what Next Trucking does uh, so we all have context. And then the second question would be, as the director of software engineering, what falls in your lap there in terms of responsibilities? Absolutely. So Next Trucking, basically, we are a logistic company and we are a tech company. We are building a transport management system, TMS, that would basically automate moving a container from a port, let's just say port of Long Beach in Los Angeles, to the nearest customer warehouse. This method of basically logistics is called drayage or last mile, that basically most of our business is based on that. We do other types as well, but this is basically going to be our main area for the TMS that we are building. So in the most simple way, it works like this. There's a basically container being unloaded from a large ship in the port. That container has a universal number. That container basically goes to the nearest customer warehouse, let's just say Alibaba, Samsung, Amazon, Costco, and so on and so forth. That container goes to the customer's warehouse and basically the empty container must go back to the port and be returned to the actual shipper. So it's the most simplification part of it, but there are many factors that would basically make the system actually highly complex. So we have three components in the system. One component is the shipper or customer. They basically ship the stuff from all over the place, all over the globe, let's just say China and basically East Asia, most of our basically imports coming through, uh, part of Long Beach, Los Angeles. And then the other spectrum is basically carriers. Carriers, either owner-operators, the person with the truck, or a company which is called Fleet. They have many trucks and they hire many drivers. So managing those carriers by their own is a complex workflow. And then comes other components like chassis that you put the container on and hook the tractor to it. So for a driver, in order to be able to pick up a container from a port and take it all over, all the way to the customer warehouse and bring back the empty, there are basically a chassis pool that they need to go to sometimes. They need to appoint, make an appointment. Some ports, terminals in ports, they don't need an appointment. Sometimes they require an appointment. Customers' warehouse are the same. Sometimes they accept. Anytime if a driver shows up, they accept the load. Sometimes they do not. They need appointments. Sometimes they are not basically able to unload the, basically, the container. So the driver would have to come back with another container. And they might not have the empty for the driver to come back with. So drivers should have basically go to another warehouse to pick up the empty container. And all these 
basically happens several times a day for a basically certain driver because it's the last mile. That means it might take the driver like two hours. So what's going to happen for the next at least six hours of the driver's time? So we need to basically make sure that driver, the driver is basically occupied for this. So we have a marketplace and we have a mobile app that basically all the jobs that we create based on the container that shipments and we push them to the marketplace with a transparent price that we use machine learning to basically calculate those prices. The prices basically should be fair to the drivers because we call ourselves drivers first. So basically they use the mobile app or sometimes our web applications if they are basically or our operators, sometimes they assign the jobs to particular fleet or uh, driver. So all the workflow that I basically uh, explained, it is managed through our TMS. And it's working, it's working, it's working fine. And basically what we are working on to basically automate the entire process. Wow. I mean, I guess that's uh, everyone who gets uh, some type of uh, good off a shelf someplace or delivered to their house via uh, online retailer has uh, probably their item sitting on a truck at some point. It's imperative. Uh, part of the whole supply chain logistics is a massive market. I guess as the director of software engineering for Next Trucking, what's the responsibilities you have there? So I've been with Next for two years and I have been holding several responsibilities. Currently, I'm the director of platform, basically teams, which includes machine learning, data engineering, infrastructure, and application development. So there are four teams, basically, in my organization that basically we build the infrastructure and the platform for our application development to basically utilize. I also am responsible for the hiring for the engineering team as a whole. And I guess that's a, a good pivot to start talking about your team. I guess at a, at a high level, are you guys still remote? Is the team hybrid? How does the team actually operate right now? So at the current moment, we are fully remote. Fully remote. Okay. Yeah. Were you guys fully remote before the pandemic as well? No, no. Before the pandemic, we were almost fully on site. Almost fully on site. So big shift from... Uh, like everyone's experienced, uh, you know, going from mostly on site to mostly remote. I guess the thing that always comes to mind in this dynamic is, you know, what's going to happen six months, what's going to happen a year down the road in terms of, you know, the makeup of a team. Is it going to be, you know, hybrid, go back to the office? Have you guys started kind of mapping out how the team will be structured if there is a, you know, option to go back to the office? So I don't think, generally speaking, as I basically mentioned that to you before, right? When I started my job at Next Tracking, obviously I would go to the headquarters uh, office, right? And it wasn't the case to think about being fully remote for the entire team. And now it's the way that I see things that moving, not necessarily for Next Tracking, but generally speaking for the entire industry, at least in the tech, thinking of going back to office or asking someone, hey, you should come to the office, it feels so remote as if it never happened before. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that so true? Isn't that crazy how we're all so used to it that the idea of, you know, come to the office two, three days a week just, and some people do want to go back to the office, but overall, that's the sentiment we get as well as, 
even in a hybrid setup, people are like, I really don't want to have to you know, even go two, three days a week. Why can't I just continue what I've been doing? That's exactly right. And again, talking about uh, basically hiring, that's another sort of, I'm not going to call it the challenge, but more of an approach that basically companies and we are taking, right? That, hey, being in office is not something that even if you want to, we can require. And that's part of the equation, right? How can you basically build a strong team? How can you build a high-performing team in this climate? That working from office can, at least working from office is going to be very expensive for companies if they want to enforce that kind of policy. When you mentioned, I guess, high-performing teams, I'm just curious for what you've seen in the last you know, two years and compared to your previous experience, when it comes to hiring, I guess, what are the challenges? Like when you're now having to hire someone, you know, over Zoom or over, you know, WebEx or whatever it is, what have you lost? Obviously that, you know, sitting across the table, we've lost that, but what kind of challenges has that created for you and your team to kind of replace some of those, you know, touch points, some of those, you know, ability to build rapport, those type of things? Yeah, and basically it comes back to the whole idea of hiring and retaining the team and building a team post-pandemic. So uh, as I told you before, right, they call it great resignation. What happened was with the pandemic, so many things obviously changed over the course of almost last a year and a half or so. And this change led to uh, working remote culture that was even Bigger tech companies, top-tier tech companies like Google, Amazon, Facebook, Twitter basically was the leader, actually, of that working remote, indefinitely working remote. That that basically spawned that culture. So with that came the great designation that people started moving around. I mean, the wave was so huge that shook many companies and many colleagues of mine that they work for different companies, they all told me about the same thing. We are seeing a huge turnover. And basically that huge turnover led basically led us at Next Tracking to really change our perspective regarding hiring and regarding retaining teams. And that's how I'm gonna answer your question, how things worked after the pandemic and basically even when even we started working, right? So obviously. Working remote in software engineering is not a new thing, right? Mm-hmm. It, has been, it has been around for quite some time. For quite some time, people would work from home from one day or two days per week or so. We, we kind of had it before, but our major basically focus on and everything basically around that would happen on site. And although we have a team in China as well, and now we expanded to other countries, also, when we started basically working as remote, so it felt obviously like any other person might tell you that it felt sort of weird when we started out. And then a few months after, basically, with the great resignation and the wave of basic turnover happened, made things even volatile, even more volatile. So how did we basically adjust ourselves and our processes to that huge change. And now we are pretty stable, we are pretty successful, we are we have really high performing teams at the company. 
that we can deliver software features by a stream basis every two weeks. So it felt weird at the start and the volatility came in and the great resignation happened. So we had to change our focus and the focus was, okay, first of all, we want to go for the remote and we want to basically hire any talent that we can hire. And now in this climate, the idea of full stack front end and back end, they don't hold anymore. So we want to basically, and this is part of the thing that I did in my, for my teams and others as well, that basically empower your team members while they can stay focused on one context at a time, they are able to switch context on a basically, not on a day-to-day basis, but on a few days basis, basically. So during one course of a sprint or less or more than that, they can switch context between different things. And that empowerment comes from what I would like to call a leader-leader approach to leadership. So the basically traditional management and leadership that has been sort of practiced over the course of time is really hard to work now. So people basically need a lot of freedom on their work, on their craft, to basically think about it, take full ownership, and deliver something. And now it has become a lot more important to think about it, and it has become a lot more important to think about the agile processes that before might not might not have been fully the case. I like that empowering your you know team to stay focused on one context. I mean, context switching is very hard in general. And a lot of people, you know, they get burned out with just that. But are you noticing anything with your team just in terms of the health of the team staying more motivated because there's less context switching that they're going through? So the context switching now happens more than before, basically. But at the same time, there is a way for the team to be able to focus on a context for an extended period of time. So talking about context switching, is like this. If you allow your team to focus on a problem, on a domain for an extended period of time, let's just say for the sake of conversation, one day, four hours, two days. If you stay true to that, if you have a consistency, then the context switching is not going to bother the team at all. So one thing that might bother the team that basically the direction that they might receive from the managers all the time, that basically we were able to remove a great deal of that. So basically, they teams, they would give directions. Basically, they would create a direction. They would give the direction to their managers in a way that, again, some might call it managing up. Mm -hmm. So giving more freedom to teams, having them to basically own and do things from end to end. That's another thing that basically did. I, I think many of my colleagues will agree with me that we were able to empower our team members to do things end to end. Depends on the basically context that they are working on. Do you think when it comes to your team and, and obviously you're learning to adjust for, you know, being, when being remote, it sounds like you're making some of those adjustments as you just indicated. When it comes to retention, Obviously, your you know, your employees are, you know, everyone did go through the great resignation. I still think we're seeing a lot of it still happen, lots of turnover. 
people going to new opportunities. Tech is <laughs> an insane market right now. But when it comes to retaining and kind of focusing on the retention aspect, what are you doing? Like, what are some of the things that you're seeing that you need to kind of be cognizant of? So basically, did that basically change in approach of leadership and basically following the leader, leader position? That means if I'm a leader, my team member is also a leader. Mm-hmm. So when teams feel something like that, that, hey, I can literally lead my leaders, I can make decisions. And at the end of the day, just what I, all I need to do to just get the approval of some sort. So this level of empowerment to give to a person, for example, let's just say, uh, not the most senior people in the team, but as long as someone is willing and is capable to do so, they will get that. So even with the great designation, we, we were able to keep a lot of great engineers in our team. And I believe that's because of that. Because they see, I mean, you know, benefits, salary, and all the things aside, there are other things that a good engineer obviously is looking for to stay at the company. And that empowerment and that basically freedom to push the boundaries and be able to finish whatever they think that's the best on their own, at least with their own leadership, with a basic consensus. And if they are responsible to gain the consensus from the team themselves, that's something that most of engineers, I would say, they would thrive to have that. And that has been helping us to a And also, again, with that context switching, basically, so what I would like to call it sort of deliberate context switching, you know what you are doing. You are not just pushing things to your team blindly, but that basically made us capable of to manage things with less people. Or if someone leaves, someone else can uh, easily pick up what they have left off. So if someone comes to our company for the duration of six months, they can accomplish a great deal of work. It's basically where the knowledge transfer happens as well. So we do the knowledge transfer on a constant basis. Let me ask you a question about that, because I think that's interesting. I know, I know when we were talking off air, you mentioned, you know, obviously uh, adjusting the software development process to manage either the current or future impact of employees leaving just to kind of, you know, obviously we're in a remote situation. Remote looks like the, it's sticking, having gone through the great resignation. What's happening, I guess, with the actual software development process itself? Is that something that you're seeing as, as being altered to accommodate for potential employees leaving? Is there anything being done to the process that kind of insulate, you know, in case team members are leaving? So for us, yes. So we are basically, obviously, we've been on Agile since I started that next tracking. So basically making those processes as loose as possible and based on teams and how they feel to run it. And also for some of the teams, for example, especially in the platform team, in the platform experience, that basically there are four teams there. So... But basically, for example, something like Agile Scrum suggests you have a two-week of a sprint, right? And you commit to those work that is supposed to be done during that sprint. But for teams like platform team, 
sometimes it's very difficult to do so. So basically, we adopt that Kanban. Instead of having a strings, and now we are having milestones. So we define those milestones, and those, based on those milestones, teams are basically free to play inside that milestone how long. I mean, obviously, milestones, they vary in duration. So that's obviously a change. And again, Kanban is not a new, new thing at, at all. But the way that you basically adopt, even, I mean, Scrum is not a new thing as well, right? But the way that you basically enforce those best practices, that's very important. Having teams to decide on how they want to do that. So, for example, in my team, one team might, they run Kanban in a different way that basically another team would basically run Kanban. Basically, the frame of the work is pretty much the same. Obviously, you have the Kanban, you have the roadmap, and you basically, you, you break down things into milestones. But the teams, they have total freedom on how to run their tickets. If you want to have multiple tickets in progress, that's fine. If you want to just have this one ticket in progress and move it all the way to the end and start another one, these are the best practices that, for example, Kanban suggests. So yeah, I think companies, if at least it's been experience for us, if companies want to be successful in this climate, that we don't have, we are losing, yeah, we are losing the touch of in person, but even with remote, if you give people a lot of freedom on how to, and they take ownership, that's something that could actually help us to be successful. Again, these are the things that has always been the case. We really put the focus to just implement them this time around. That makes sense. Let me ask you a question about that, because I think if someone's listening, they're probably going to wonder, you switch to more of a Kanban process and each team has some freedom to run their own version, own, you know, maybe some of the rituals can change per what they need or whatever that could be for another team. But when you decided to make the shift, obviously changing the underlying methodology is pretty big. How did you go about coming to conclusion, moving to this is better? Like, what did you see in, you know, Scrum before that you just, you know, wanted to make the shift altogether? Absolutely. And that's a really good question. So a Scrum with a two-week sprint and basically everything that comes with it, those everything that comes with it, everything else that comes with it, those are really overhead. So when you think about it, when you work in a scrum, in two weeks, a scrum, and you commit to a certain work, it's just going to be the mentality of the team that, hey, I'm going to commit to do that work, no more, no less. Not that they would do that intentionally. That's just going to be the mindset of the team. So that's one thing. And aside from that, so basically at the end of each sprint, you want, based on what a scrum suggests, you want to have a ritual. You want to have demo. You want to have the last day of the screen that you want to basically wrap things up. Mm-hmm. So all these administrative work, they lead to overhead. So basically, today is the last day of the screen. I have to wrap things up. In practice, you would lose two days because the first day of the screen, you take it slow because you've been working really hard on the last day. And on the last day, you have to wrap things up. So when you think about it, and but in Kanban, you don't have that. You have a continuous days of work. So teams, they can do, and they, exactly the context switching can actually work pretty well in Kanban 
because you have a continuous flow of work that comes your way without having an end to it, except for the end of the milestone. But let's just say it's the two months or one month and a half. So those overheads, they basically, they accumulate. If you remove that, and it's, it's unbelievable, you are only gaining 30 to 40% of productivity if you remove that. Not to suggest that Scrum is necessarily a bad thing, depends on the team, depends on the arrangement, depends on the type of the work that teams do. A serious Scrum could work, but we decided for a few of our teams that this Scrum basically Kanban would to do better. That's how we decided to make. Obviously, we didn't make the move for all the teams at, at once. We just did it one team by one team. By. And I guess when you're looking at that, you're bringing people you know, into the team. And you know, most developers are used to working in a scrum fashion. When they're coming in and having to adjust to like a Kanban different type of methodology, how do people adopt? So they were fine most of the time. But, you know, when you move to a different approach, you lose a few things that you already had. When we moved to Kanban, we lost a few good things that Scrum had. For example, refinements that would have to happen on a weekly basis. Because you have a a spring, you would have to have refinements. So you would lose things like that. Or retro, you would basically we do retro every milestone now. So sometimes things might fall through the cracks because we don't have rituals. So teams, yeah, some people brought those things up. So we decided to add them on a, again, in the Kanban approach without going back to a spring, but sort of having some sort of official refinements as soon as we have enough tickets to put together for that milestone. So yeah, there were some comments that we received without saying, hey, we want to go back to for example, the scrum. So there were a few adjustments we had to make. I like how you you know, take advantage of uh, you know potential shift in methodology to suit the team, and obviously being proactive and realizing you know given the pandemic being remote that you found a different way. I think that's really cool. And I actually was thinking like when you're looking at the overall scope of um, you know the methodology itself, I think your team is very good, obviously, at assimilating. But really what I think is interesting is, you know, how much, you know, empowerment you talk about giving your team and how much, you know, you want them to kind of take ownership. Like how different is one team's Kanban versus another? Like, are they pretty similar? Do they start diverging once people kind of dig in and take over? That's a really interesting question, right? And basically that's part of the changes that we also made in our hiring process to basically make ourselves more agile. So in terms of teams, every team obviously is different. Every team dynamic is different. You know, when people work together, they develop some kind of a rhythm, right? Even if they are coming from totally different backgrounds in terms of culture or work, still develop some sort of a rhythm that makes them different from the other team. So giving ownership from team to team, it has been different. But generally speaking, it was, I would always say this, try to find your rhythm, whatever that rhythm might be. But there should be a rhythm in the way that you run things. So, yeah, it's interesting for me, for myself as well, to basically work with different teams and see how they behave and how they take ownership 
But at the end of the day, it was all received very well. And even people that didn't seem to be very willing to take ownership at first, when they got that and they received the message clearly, it was unbelievable, even for myself, to see the changes. So one great takeaway for myself is, and this is not something that you read them in books, but I saw that in action. If you give people the chance and make it clear to them what the expectations are, they do well. They do really well. So there was even one person, or a few actually, that some might have hesitated to give them that level of ownership. But when they basically received that, they actually went above and beyond. Ali, I was going to say, I think we could probably uh, do a whole other episode around uh, this transformation from Scrum to Kanban and some of the learning lessons. And I think it's maybe something I'll hit you up to do a follow-up. If someone has uh, any follow-up questions for you in terms of the podcast, what's a good way of getting a hold of you? Is LinkedIn good? Any preferences of how somebody can get a hold of you? I think you can have my personal email address or you can have my LinkedIn as well. Absolutely. For sure. We'll put that in the show notes. So if uh, somebody wants to kind of follow up, I know you you talked a lot of different areas here, some challenges everyone's going through. So I I appreciate you being on and sharing. Thank you very much. Absolutely. That's it uh, for this episode. Appreciate everyone who has been listening. If you have any follow-ups, direct them to Ali. I'm sure he'd be excited to engage with you. And I always ask for two things. One, if you found the podcast uh, useful, Share it with somebody you know that could uh, find it useful. That's how we've been growing, and I uh, always appreciate that. And secondly, if there's a topic you want me to cover, hit me up on LinkedIn. Let me know what that is. I'll do my best to find a guest for you. And until next time, thank you. 